on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. It's hood now. Yeah. It's hood now. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's hood now. What's up and welcome in. This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, live from Chicago on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. With open phone lines for you, 312-332-ESPN, 332-3776 is our phone number. Hit me up on Snapchat, SnapJHood, also Instagram, IGJHood. As we keep you company here until 10 o'clock, we're going to have Bear Down coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll give you some Bear sound that you might have missed with Bear Down. Also, Jesse Rogers from Denver. The Cubs get the job done. They defeat the Colorado Rockies at Coors Field. They salvage the series. And so we'll hear from Jesse just... Come the bean balls is going back and forth. Cubs win. Swing and a miss. Cubs win. I said that, Len, on NBC Sports Chicago. Yes, I mentioned that the Cubs won. Just had to rub it in. Uh, 10 to 1, the Cubs win. And again, they're getting ready to take on the Dodgers. That's going to be a fun series. That's a measuring stick series right there. On the road, big spot now. Because the Cubs have had their problems from a pitching standpoint um, on the road. Let's see how they fare against the Dodgers. And it's Lester and Kershaw, the first game. Oh, that I want that to be a really, really solid game on Thursday. So uh, we'll keep our eyes on that. And for you Sox fans saying, hey, what about the Shacks? Got, got any Sox thoughts? I do. Scott Greger from the Daily Herald will be with me at 930. We'll talk about the Sox and where they stand. You know, they're four games out of the wild card. Such a bad American League. It says I'm like six teams in the wild card in the mix, right? Sox are in the mix. Under 500, but in the mix. They split against a bad Washington team. Uh, and so we'll talk about the Sox coming up at 930 right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Glad to have you in. we got so much we got to get to here. Let me um, get to the Bulls. You know, every night on the program, we have a guest on to talk about the NBA draft because it's right around the corner. Next Thursday, Chris Black and I will be um, doing the NBA draft again. Uh, that'll be next Thursday at six o'clock. We'll have your coverage of the NBA draft. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to keep you abreast of how people think about this draft. And so, Darnell Mayberry, who we don't have on this program enough, and Darnell has done a great job over the years. He, he went from Oklahoma City to covering the Bulls. I don't know what he did to deserve that. But he's with theathletic.com, and uh, he's always got a great perspective on things. And, and folks, we just got to get him on more often because he, he really is solid. Um, he did a, a column that says, Remember Telfair, talking about Sebastian Telfair, why the Bulls shouldn't think about trading the number seven pick in the draft. And so he was going on and talking about certain number sevens. But I think this really captured the imagination of the column. He says... It was one of eight times in the past 20 years that the seventh pick hadn't been traded, talking about how the Bulls should be aware of Danny Ainge's early blunder when Ainge did this with the Celtics. In each of those instances, it was used for to trade a superstar or combined in a package to trade down or essentially out of the first round. In the 62-year history of the draft, the seventh pick has never been used to trade into the top five, which effectively should slam shut any remaining hope that the Bulls can move up in the NBA draft coming up on June 20th. He goes on to say that there is a growing belief around the league, and I've seen this several places. There's a growing belief around the league that the Bulls are open to trading anyone and anything not named Laurie Markkinen or Wendell Carter Jr. 
according to sources familiar with the team's offseason objectives. But the Bulls must be sure of the return before parting with the seventh selection and other promising young players like Zach Levine or future picks. Failure to do so would jeopardize the future and go against everything the Bulls have said about being patient in this rebuild after making the controversial decision to trade Jimmy Butler. And that's a potential reality that can't be overstated. It's a really solid column talking about the Bulls and what they should do with the number seven pick. We've had a number of guests on, as I mentioned, and I think that this is a lousy draft. We'll host it, but it's a lousy draft. It's a three-player draft, and, 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 and that's stretching it. Because you could say it's a four-player draft because someone's going to be Donovan Mitchell all right, in this draft. I don't know who it is. Somebody will be that player that's in the middle like, oh, that was a steal. We'll look back at it in two or three years. But this is a, this is a lousy draft. And whoever the Bulls get at seven – it's not going to be about that draft pick. It's going to be about the health of the Chicago Bulls. That's the whole issue, is that whoever they get is just gravy, but it's really about the quality that we think the Bulls have. It's about Laurie Markkinen. It's about Zach Levine. It's about Chris Dunn. It's about the core. It's about Otto Porter Jr. That's the core. That core should be good enough, if healthy, to be one of the top eight teams in a week east. But, of course, you can't judge what you can't see. And if you're on the bench and if you're in a suit half the year or a quarter of the year, how are you supposed to know what the Bulls are? See, this is different than like the Lakers and the Knicks. This is a different dynamic because the Lakers organizationally are a dumpster fire because they have LeBron, an asset, and then you have other players, but you're not good enough to be able to get to the top eight in the East, in the West rather. And then they're still thinking about trying to trade some of their assets and bring in free agents without Magic Johnson. That whole thing was crazy on the West Coast. On the East Coast with the Knicks, it's like they haven't been relevant since 1973. It drives me crazy when I do these national shows with J.D. and you have these guests and these callers calling in from New York saying, Hey, you know, I got to go to the Knicks because the Knicks, you know, Magic Square Garden. Like, who cares about your building? Seriously. Who cares about your building? My first time going to Madison Square Garden was with Jason Goff. We were there to cover a boxing event, right? My first time being in New York, my first time being in Madison Square Garden. I look around when, I, when we walk in, we walk in, I'm looking up at all these banners, right? Looking at all these banners from years and years past. And Goff is right next to me. He goes, oh, okay, I'm going to get a cigarette. I'll be right back. <laughs> he wasn't impressed by it at all. <laughs> and I'm looking like, wow, okay, this is the garden. And then there's rats running past my, my feet, of course, while I'm looking up and I'm not looking down and seeing these rats going past me. Point is, is that there's this, all this feeling like, oh, man, it's a square garden. Why wouldn't you want to play there? Why wouldn't you play the number one? Because nobody cares about the number one city in America from a media standpoint. There's stars in Oklahoma City. Okay, there, There's stars in Oakland. There's stars all across this country in the NBA. So it doesn't matter. But with the Bulls, it's it's different. Well, the Bulls is about ineptitude and not getting the job done. See, if you base your team and your expectations for a team on wins and losses, you can you know that's not good enough. You know that this team has been built to at least be one of the top eight teams in the East, and it hasn't they haven't been able to get there. So, moving forward here, if the Bulls are going to make a deal, uh, that's the best way they're going to try to add talent because the Otto Porter Jr. deal that's their draft pick. Otto Porter Jr. is their draft pick. It's not Thursday. 
that's just another young player. And that's a young player they could trade if they want to. But as Darnell talked about in the piece, you don't you don't want to part from a number seven pick because you don't know what it's going to be. Well, it's all about those young players and whether or not they can stay healthy and whether or not they can learn under this coaching staff. And if they can't, it's the same old, same old. It's the same thing that we've seen for years. But the injuries since Derrick Rose has just been amazing. I don't have the number of injuries and how many days they've been on the disabled list. and how the, But the point is, is that it has been way too much, way too much for these guys to be on the sidelines and not be able to manifest into a team that we should watch. As you're listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. So I direct you to that column. I think it's really good. He was just kind of breaking down seventh picks in the draft and how some of these seventh picks have been good. Um, he says last year the Bulls were armed with the seventh and 22nd selections. They explored options to package the picks and move up uh, and didn't have the asset base. They stood pat and selected Carter. And by the way, last year when we talked about Wendell Carter Jr., I said if they get Carter at seventh, it's fine. It's fine. I, I, I didn't... I did not think that he was a bad player in college. I think he was someone that could grow, but I didn't think that was a horrible pick. And I think that here's the thing that's really weird about Wendell Carter Jr. While they were losing, the Bulls, while they were losing, Wendell Carter Jr. had some of the more memorable sound bites. That guy showed leadership for a young guy. A lot of veterans, a lot of like second and third year players, but then Wendell was saying things that you wouldn't hear from a young player normally. So he was showing leadership even as a freshman in the NBA, which I found for refreshing. Darnell goes on to say that that pick, talking about the 7th and 22nd picks, that pick initially viewed as safe, now looks splendid. I didn't think it was a safe pick. I just thought it was obvious. Like, Carter's there, take him. Fine. Do something with him. Um, as a result, the Bulls have an intriguing core of Levine, of Markkinen, Carter, and Otto Porter Jr. coming aboard uh, at the Friday train deadline, or February train deadline. Cashing in chips now for a veteran would be both premature and risky. Put this on the poll at ESPN 1000. Do you want the Bulls to trade the seventh pick in the NBA draft? Yes or no? It's one thing to be safe, okay, and and to say we're going to go with our core. I have no problem with that. Otto Porter Jr. was a surprise for me. I remember I was doing that show. It was a surprise. The third best player on the Washington Wizards is now part of the Bulls. And we haven't even seen the best of Otto Porter Jr. just as of yet. The reason why we couldn't is because Wall and Beal were taking all the shots. I look forward to seeing what he looks like. Healthy with this young core. I look forward to seeing what that looks like. I have no idea. But you don't know what the Bulls are if they're not healthy. And if they're unhealthy again, then once again, you're just spinning your wheels. Um, some thoughts here for from John Paxson about how the Bulls have been set up here to try to be successful. Jerry Reinsdorf isn't the most patient guy from my history. Has he told you guys at any point within the last year that, hey, you know, I'm going to give you a chance to work through this rebuild, but this is it. This has to work, or I have to look to make a change. No, he's never said that, but, but I think we're all smart enough to know the, the reality of this business. I mean, we, we convinced... Jerry and Michael, that this was the right way to go at that time. Um, so, but we all know the reality. And, and Jerry, he, of course, he gets frustrated with losing. I mean, I do too. None, none of us, 
you know want want to lose. As I mentioned earlier, we're in the the business of winning. Um, so, but there's been nothing said like that. So the thoughts there from John Pax. He also talks about injuries and the training staff. That's my big thing with this Bulls team is is the amount of injuries that this Bulls team have, has had. It's one thing to be snake, snake bit. It's another thing to say, wow, this is a trend. We have, uh, well, as I mentioned, the four injuries we had, and then, you know, you can even throw in the fact that, uh, you know, what happened with Lowry in, in uh, Toronto. The four, the four, there's, I don't know what you can do about those. You know, you, you can't prepare for a, a fall and a broken thumb and, and things like that. So I'm, I'm not going to dwell on that. We, we have great confidence in our strength and conditioning staff. Chip Schaefer, uh, his credentials are as good as anyone. And the thing that, that I tried to impress upon the players last night is that we have everything here for them to to work and improve this summer. You know, I mean, for players to, to endure an 82-game season, I, they have to get stronger. They have to become more powerful. Uh, they need to spend more time in the room over here behind us that where where they they use the resources we have. And I've I, I, I made that as clear as I could last night to, to the players. I think our training methods are excellent if the players will buy into them. Um, I think Lowry last year, for example, uh, he had a great summer. He got stronger. And our doctors told us with the, the elbow injury that, you know, it's likely that had he not gotten that strength, he might have been out the entire year when he got hurt. So uh, I, I'm, I'm confident in our training methods. I, I would like to see our players in this building uh, adhering to that. I, I I believe that, and I saw it over my entire career, you need a real uh, strength base in order to make it through an 82-game season. You, you do. And and guys sometimes look to the outside of an organization. You know, people, other people get involved. They say, we got this guy who can work with you and do this and improve you. Um, we, we, we have a lot of resources, and we have a philosophy we believe in, but the players have to buy into it, and we try to educate them and, and get them to. And I, I, I do know that all our young guys are, are going to buy into it this, this offseason. That's important to us. Okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You, you heard that soundbite, though, that pretty much he's not happy with the outside resources. That's what it's about. He doesn't like the idea that players go elsewhere not in the facility to work out, get better, get stronger. He feels like the staff is in place. If you are a Bulls player and saw the saw the past with some of these injuries, you probably would understand why some players feel like, "No, I'm good. I'll go. To, I got my guy. I'll just go on my own." I just found it strange in that quote. He talks about how he likes their training staff, but wishes the players would buy in. Isn't that him and the and the coaches' fault? Like, you got to make sure their asses are in the gym working out day in and day out and hold them accountable, as opposed to. Eh, it'd be nice if they showed up when I asked them to. But here's the difference between the college and the pros, Eric. That's the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The difference is, like, I don't know what it's like with the Golden State Warriors, for instance. Like, in the offseason, do everybody work out together or do they have their own people? I don't know. But there's a difference. In college, you've got to be there. You've got to be on campus. You've got to work out. In the pros... They have their own dietitian. They have their own guys that they work out with to get them bigger and stronger. And some don't trust who's in the facility. I I just hope, and I'll probably ask John this, I hope that he's not blaming the outside influences and the other people that the player's not working out with on the injuries. I hope that's not the case. So listen to ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. 
Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood, weeknights at 7. Glad that you're with us. The Cubs win and defeat the Colorado Rockies in Denver. We turn to Jesse Rogers. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. Uh, Follow him on Twitter at ESPN Shy Cubs. And Jesse joins us here to talk about a Cubs victory against the Rockies. Jesse, as always, I appreciate you coming on. You got it, Jay Hood. Good evening. A uh, big-time win for the Cubs salvaging the series against the Rockies. What stood out most about uh, the Cubs' win today? Cole Hamels, seven shutout innings at Coors Field. I mean, the story is, is all about Hamels um, at the plate and on the mound. He had his first two-hit game since 2014, his, two, uh, his first two uh, RBI games since 2013. Both hits were huge, just kind of kept rallies going, especially that first hit, to be honest, even though it was the second one that drove in runs. First one kept the line moving, and eventually Schwarber hits a three-run homer. But for him to pitch seven shutout innings, that's three starts in a row where he's done that. 22 scoreless innings overall. Pretty good. Pretty good for a 35-year-old. So Cole Hamels was really the story today in all aspects. One of the few times that the Cubs on the road have the offense and pitching clicking at the same time, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Certainly as of late, there's no doubt. Um, they needed a game like this. This felt like a game they would have played at Wrigley Field last week or mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago or whatever. Such a great record there. Their road record's been awful. They did put it together. I mean, Hamels got out of a jam in the first inning, and then he sailed, and immediately the Cubs gave him a five-run lead, added on to it. It was like exactly the way you'd draw it up if you were the manager. Um, and, and you know Hamels. They lose the first two games. He even said it like, it would have sucked to sweep the Cardinals and then get swept, give the three games right back. So he's like, you know what? That's the guy you want in a, in a stopper situation, stop a losing streak or whatever, uh, even though it's just two games. But, um, yeah, so you're right. They put it all together today for sure. You know what, Jesse? You could have been covering this game in 1979, and the way it, the way it went out about with the bean balls going back and forth, I think it was settled nicely. I mean, there wasn't a lot of controversy about it. Like, you're going to hit Bryant twice – Somebody's going to get it, you know, and and so Arenado got it, and then it kept going back and forth. Uh, but that, are you surprised there were no warnings? Well, they, they did give a warning, but pretty late in the game, they right. gave a warning in the before the last guy got hit, which is funny because Brad Brock actually hits Walters, and they don't kick him out even after the warning. So that's what Bud Black was was upset about. I talked to Brock afterwards. He's like, the way I'm pitching, I can't afford to hit anybody. I I don't think that one was intentional. I do think everything else, all the other other three were intentional. I, I believe that. Uh, I will say for sure two were. Hamels hitting Arenado was intentional, and then Hamels getting hit by Shaw was intentional. Deal is a rookie who's making his second appearance. He hit Rizzo. Yeah, it might be a stretch to think he would have done it, but I still think it probably was, and I, and I don't think Brock hit, hit Walters on purpose. But back to your original point, I agree with you. I'm surprised it didn't escalate. I'm surprised there wasn't more that went down. I'm surprised the umpires didn't kick anyone out. You know what? No harm, no foul. Everybody was okay, but Black was a little upset in the ninth because they did issue warnings and Brock hit someone after that. So I get Bud Black being upset about that, but kind of they, they let it all roll off their shoulders. And uh, I'll say this. I mean, Cole Hamels, uh, he'd make he, – <laughs> put him on the lie detector, he might pass it. He might pass it because he was that good afterwards claiming innocence all around let's face it Bryant got hit last week uh sort of Wilson Contreras by uh Herman Marquez who hit Bryant last year in the head so Bryant gets hit by Marquez last year in the head gets hit by him last week then gets hit twice yesterday we know what Hamels was doing that's why Arenado said he knew it was coming so 
So Hamels hits him but denies it all. Can't believe anybody would think that way. Arenado leaves the game, little forearm contusion. He might miss another day. Hamels gets hit in the foot. Um, he was limping a little, well, not limping, but a little gingerly on it after the game. He says he won't miss time, but of course he doesn't have to play tomorrow. So both guys hurting a little bit, but let's face it, that was on purpose. And then things kind of settled down despite two more guys getting hit by pitches. So now the question is, is it over? Well, it's over because the season series is over. Yeah. Though Arenado said if they did play again this year, it would be a, quote, spicy series. <laughs> now, I don't know if he meant playoffs or just if, you know, if the schedule had them on, just hypothetically. But they're done. So unless it picks up next year, I mean, I think the Marquez thing is the key. The guy hit Brian in the head. Right. Then a year later, hits him again. You'd think he might stay away. And then Brian gets hit twice more and misses today's game partly because of that. So I think that, look, you know Hamels. He's, he's protecting Bryant. That's 100% the case, no matter what he says. So there are, I don't believe in coincidences very often. Once in a blue moon. It's not a coincidence that Arenado got hit, and it's not a coincidence that Hamels got hit. Come on. And, and thank goodness, Jesse, by the way, that you have a veteran guy like Hamels that understands the moment. How many young pitchers would have just missed the guy, threw behind him, or not even get it at all. That's happened before, where a young pitcher doesn't know what to do, never been in that spot, but a veteran pitcher like Hamels knew exactly where to place it. Well, not in Arenado's mind, and that's why he was upset. He thought it was a little high. Like, that's when you take on the, yeah. in the leg or, or you know, some, somewhere around there. He thought it was a little high, because when, when you talk about wrists and hands and forearms, that's the potential for broken bones. So that's why he was upset. So Cub fans might think it was a perfectly placed uh, hit-by-pitch, you know, but Arenado did not. Um, but just the idea of Hamels doing it is not surprising. He's the type that would, where if the Cubs are sending a rookie out there today, you wouldn't expect that. That's where you'd want it, though, Jesse. If you've got the double nits on, if you're the manager, you want it right there where Arenado got hit. I mean, it wasn't like Brian had his helmet spinning like a top as he got hit in the helmet. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, I, I think I think Jesse Rogers in that spot would, doesn't mind that pitch. You don't mind that. Yeah. Uh, it depends. If I break something, I'm going to mind it a lot. But, you know, <laughs> Hamels tried. Hamels, you know, Hamels was all sort of backward complimenting uh, Arenado. He's like, oh, he'll be fine. He's a tough kid. He's a tough kid. Yeah, he'll be right. fine. Yeah, you sure. know, I mean, as as Arenado's arm is hanging off his body. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, he'll be fine. He's a tough kid. Just so a- it, was, it was good back and forth. I just love that Hamels denied everything. Where Arenado's like, yeah, I expected it. Jesse Rogers covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, on Under the Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Um, what did Madden have to say after the game? You know, I went to talk to Arenado, so I didn't see Madden uh, you know, face-to-face, but I did hear about what he said. And the best line that he, that he had was, um, uh, paraphrasing a little bit here, if you get hit by a pitch, either go to the first or go to the mound, but don't jabber. Don't sit there and whine and complain and jabber. I kind of like that. He, make a decision. Go to the mound. Or go to first. Don't try that in-between thing where you act tough and yell and jaw and that's what I, I don't think he liked that Arenado who jawed at Hamels and jawed at the dugout and dramatically went to first. I'm sort of you know taking the Cubs' viewpoint on this. They feel like he went to first and got looked over, finished the inning, and then as the game got out of hand, he was pulled. So he's you know maybe they didn't like the drama so much. Like hey, if you're mad, go to the mound and deal with it. So that's what Joe had to say. But he also said, look, our guys are going to hit left and right. I mentioned. Um, Contreras and Bryant last week. Bryant twice yesterday. So I think he feels like uh, you know if anybody should be complaining, it's us. So that that's what Joe had to say. Yeah. Also, if you were trying to get back at the Rockies, you do what Baez did: hit that mammoth home run yeah. and take thirty minutes to get around the bases. That was unbelievable. That was today. great. <laughs> that was great. And I don't know if you saw the ninth inning. It's ten nothing. 
man on third, one out. I mean, the infield's back, but it's kind of a hard hit ball to short. I mean, you got to get the out. You're just trying to get out of here. And Javi, for a moment, almost threw home. If he had thrown home in a 10 nothing game to cut down that run, we may have had the benches clear. <laughs> because I, as much as, look, the Cubs have never pitched a shutout in Denver, in Mile High Stadium or here. So maybe he, I, I, and here's the thing, I doubt Javi knew that, but if he did, maybe he wanted to preserve the shutout. But mostly I think he just wanted to stick it to them a little bit. Pimping the home run, 460 feet, by the way, yeah. second longest of his career, and then almost throws home in a 10 nothing game in the ninth <laughs> inning. I, I would have loved that if he had done that. <laughs> and that's the kind of, <laughs> but you want that edge, man. That's the edge that's been missing yeah. with this ball club, the little dirt underneath the fingernails, a little something extra. I, that's what's been missing the last couple of years. You know, it'll be interesting. I don't know if it's been missing. I don't know. But it, 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 it'll be interesting to see if there's some carryover to, to, to the Dodgers. Everyone in, in Cub Nation is thinking, ah, they're going to get killed by the Dodgers. Look, they, they, didn't they win the series against the Dodgers at home? I think they did. Yes. So uh, it's four games. Try to avoid losing three out of four, I know. But let's see if this is some sort of a spark on the road, a little, little bean brawl thing, a 10-1 win, a great pitching performance. I mean, you had everything – and most of it went in the Cubs' favor, so let's see if it carries over. By the way, the, the first matchup. Now, we, here, here's where Major League Baseball needs to be able to promote this, promote the hell out of this. Lester against Kershaw, game one, right? Yep, tomorrow night. That's unbelievable. That's that's what you want, right? That's a marquee matchup. Yeah, and Jay Hood, look up the game they pitched against each other. I believe it was last year. Complete dud. Lester gave up two three-run home runs in the game. Kershaw gave up multiple home runs. Complete dud. But that's also what you love. When you think one thing, the other thing happens. So you would expect some um, tight, low-scoring affair, but you never know. I'll never forget that. I mean, it wasn't like that big of a memory, but just Lester giving up multiple three-run home runs. He was ticked off. So I do remember moments in that game where it went completely opposite of what you would have thought. You know, it's graduation and prom season, Jesse, and there's a, always an opportunity to give out a gift. Do you have an idea? Well, look, we're not at Father's Day yet, so graduation season, prom season. First of all, who's giving gifts? Who's giving books for prom, by the way? <laughs> you're doing that with You're giving Try Not to Suck to Your Date. You're in big trouble. So I'm trying to, to help. <laughs> Would you come on? <laughs> Get it to your dad instead for Father's oh, Day. Try not to suck the definitive bio on Joe Madden, available at Amazon. I usually have to write read this script, but you've asked me so many times I haven't memorized. Available at Amazon, your local bookstores. Wait a second. Now, what, what do you think is more inexpensive, your book or a corsage on the, for prom? If it's the paperback, definitely a book. Okay, that's definitely more. That's definitely inexpensive for sure. Well, that's exactly right. I'm trying to sell yep. it anyway for any occasion. I'm saying it's good. Your book for any occasion <laughs> doesn't matter what it is. I- I appreciate that, my friend. All right, Jesse. Um, safe travels to Los Angeles. It's going to be a fun series, Dodgers-Cubs. That's marquee matchup right there. I'll be hanging out in Hollywood with all the celebs. Take care, buddy. All right, there he is, Jesse Rogers. Covers the Cubs for ESPN.com. Uh, follow on Twitter at ESPN Shy Cubs. It's time to bear down. Got some fresh bear sound that you might have missed from earlier today. That's coming up next on UTH. Uh, uh. Uh. Yo, it's time for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Great journeys always reveal one thing, the strength you never knew you had before you left. There's a snap, it's a good one. Thomas puts it in the air. It's gone, it's gone. The Bears are in the playoffs. The Bears are in the playoffs. We're going to get physical. We're going to get ugly. Trubisky, play action. To the end zone. Touchdown, Bears. 
Hester under it, backs up to his 16 runs right now. 45-40, the putter to beat. 20, 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Bear down. Talking NFL and Bears with you, Jonathan Hood. On ESPN 1000, the ESPN app, we got Tales from the Hood coming up in our next segment. Also, we will talk about the Bulls in the NBA draft with head coach for the DePaul Blue Demons, Dave Lato at 9-10. Glad that you're in with me here today. As we count down the days to Bourbon A, we give you Bear Down. And then soon, very, very soon, we'll have the summer of football. We talk about everything in football, college and pro. We do it every year. So glad that you're with me here on ESPN 1000, ESPN app. One little kernel of that I missed yesterday. I didn't get to yesterday, but we'll get to it today on Bear Down. I have, uh, I have it on good authority the last couple of days that during the Bears 100 celebration, there are some bears that need their arms twisted to talk to some of the older bears. Not all of them. Like, you know that Richard Dent and uh, Khalil Mack had a great conversation. There's a couple of other examples of that, obviously, with Trubisky and with Jim McMahon. But there were some people around that celebration that were like, hey, just because you're part of this 2019 team, you can learn a lot from the 85 team. And it's not like you know, learn how to play football, but there's some tricks. You know what I mean? I mean, would you talk to Mongo if you're a young player? Put on the poll at ESPN 1000. If you're a 2019 Bears player, would you have a conversation about football with Mongo? i talked to Mongo. I would talk to any of those guys that played for a long time that had experience. It's not about the championship as much as the experience. If I'm a young player, I want to learn as much as possible. So that was an issue. Apparently, it was like, guys sitting around the table and there was kind of nudge to say hey hey see that guy over there that guy's name is dick butkus i want to talk to him you know i think that's smart again it wasn't for everybody but there's some young players that didn't get it like it's a celebration of the bears 100 years but yet at the same time have a conversation open up and learn some things and be more of a family that's the whole thing too be a family he, he was a bear so and you're a bear now come together so some thoughts here from Mitch Trubisky. You know, many camps are open up all across the country. And so Mitch Trubisky was talking to the press about a number of things, including um, how he wants to get better in 2019. Along with master offense, I'm trying to take the next step with my eyes and just throwing in rhythm and really anticipating throws. So um, not just seeing what the defense gives me, anticipating what they're going to give me and, and reacting accordingly and trying to be a step ahead of defense. Uh as 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 opposed to uh, being behind a step in the defense, so um, just just seeing it early and, and reacting and, and getting completions. Uh, what have you improved on this off season? I got a lot better grasp of the offense. It's just we're way ahead as far as timing, uh, operation, getting to line of scrimmage, getting in and out, adjustments on all our plays, and um, just knowing where to go with the football, especially against all these different looks that we're seeing that the defense is throwing at us. So uh, I feel like we've done really well. I feel like I've improved my game. We just got to keep getting better. I think just knowing um, knowing the offense a lot better, knowing the plays that we're already installing, just going back through them and becoming even more detailed with them, I think that gives you confidence as a player because um, when you know where to go with the football, you can kind of control the defense.
defense more with your eyes and rhythm and anticipate throws uh, as opposed to reacting to, to throws. So um, that's something that I've been working on. It, it's given me a lot of confidence, and just my guys believing in me gives me the most confidence. So it's, it's going really well. Ah, uh, Trubisky. Pretty confident in that conversation with the press. Khalil Mack also met with the press as well, talking about that Bears weekend, um, having a conversation with Richard Dent. Oh, man, it was amazing uh, getting to see all the all the families and all the past players. Uh, it, was a, it was an honor to be a part of this, this rich uh, history around the, the Bears organization. Um, just taking it all in, it was, it, was, it was amazing. How was your chat with Richard Dent? Oh, it was cool, man. Uh, just chatting about the game. Uh, you could tell he still loves the game, and um, he wanted to teach uh, everything that he knew in one in one little city. And uh, it was cool. It was cool to chat with him for about, probably about thirty minutes. Khalil Mack. Let them learn a little about you right now. What what's the Mack attack all about? Oh, domination. <laughs> Bear down. What else do we have here? Oh, Matt Nagy met with the press as well, talking about um, – he talked about David Montgomery. We've got to keep our eyes on that story with David Montgomery and his development. The thing with David is and, – and these rookies that we brought in here, they're very focused in the meetings. Um, they're very detailed. And David's personality is he's, – he's, he's introverted. He's quiet. But he's so driven, and you can just see how competitive he is, and he wants to be perfect on every single play. So he's going to practice the way he plays, and he's making he's making plays. He we 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 always knew he had great hands. Um, we didn't. You don't know with these college backs how great of route runners they are, but he's a really good route runner. And and as I told you before, this kid can't wait. As is as in Mike Davis and these other backs, they want to put the pads on. I'll keep my eyes closely on the running back situation. I'm not going to be one of these clingy Bears fans that says, oh, yeah, you got rid of Matt Forte. Look, I understand that there needed to be a change from Matt Nagy's standpoint, feeling that he wanted to get more out of the running back position. But I will tell you, at, at season's end, if the Bears aren't better at that spot as far as utilizing the running back to be able to get throws for him to be able to run between the tackles, whatever it is, if you're not getting more production from the running back spot and Matt Forte is not here, I'm going to say something about it. Because with Matt Forte, no, you didn't get the breakaway speed, but you did get a guy that was getting better. Yes, when Nagy first got here, he probably looked at uh, Matt Forte and said, eh, not quite the speed, not quite the hands. Montgomery and, and with um, Tariq Cohen, whoever else is there, they've got to be able to have running backs that they, you can utilize the way they want you to be utilized. Because he didn't think, I guess the Bears didn't think that, um, that what they had was good enough. So they want to improve at that spot. And I'm fine with it. Better be, better be producing, though. Better produce. I, I like an organization who was solid at running back. We had Jordan Howard, who was in the top half of running backs in the league, but it wasn't enough for him. We still want to improve on the position because it's not at the level we thought. So it's good, but they want it to be great. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, with Jordan Howard. Um, so you got to you know just get better at that position for sure. All right, Under the Hood with John the Hood on ESPN 1000, ESPN app. Oh, I see Tariq Cohen here, too. Tariq Cohen was talking about the offensive weapons. It's great. You know, we have guys everywhere uh, that can score the ball, uh, that, you know, uh, just a threat to take the ball uh, 80 every single play. So that's going to be uh, well for everybody individually. You know, uh, there won't be too many people getting double covered, uh, single matchups across the board. And that's really what you really want as an offense. So I'm looking forward to it this season. <laughs> 
And that is Bear Down right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Okay, stop the music. Stop the music. Stop the music. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. Let's turn now to Eric Ostrowski. Eric, so <laughs> let me just explain to you what just happened. So I'm looking at an article from the Chicago Sun-Times, right? And it says, could, the, could Bears rookie running back David Montgomery be the next Matt Forte? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, you know, I understand. You know, you want to get a better Forte. You want to get better at that spot. And what does Eric say? Yes. Let me help this old man. He met Jordan Howard. I did it gently, though. If you didn't notice, I totally massaged it in there without calling you out. <laughs> it's kind of funny, though, because I'm aging before your very ears. <laughs> yes. And Felix said, what? You're listening to my man's and them. Just some men that's on the mic. And when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right? Jay Hood. <laughs> on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. What do you got there? This is your car. My car? I said a 10-second car, not a 10-minute car. Pop the hood. Pop the hood? Pop the hood. Tales from the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. <laughs> Here we go. The first story for Tales from the Hood is already funny. Jefferson County, Pennsylvania, an Amish man steals a car, crashes it, and it goes to a bar. Wait a minute. An Amish man is facing charges after he allegedly stole a neighbor's car and then went into somewhat of an unsuccessful drive. So according to court documents, this 21-year-old Jacob J. Byler of Puxatawney, of course, um, around 11.58 in the morning on June 7th, he observed that the airbags of a car was de- deployed. It was a dark gray Nissan. And he went into a restaurant and bar parking lot on the west side of this uh, area. But anyway, the point is, is that this guy is free now on $40,000 unsecured bail. But he decided to just kind of go AWOL from his from his culture. <laughs> he takes the car, not, not the horse and buggy. He takes the car steals the car, and then crashes it. What the hell? I'm curious if the community lets him back in. That's a good question. You know, like, he's done a lot of sin right there. That's a a great question, actually. Wow. He took, he he just like, you know, screw this! You know, one day, like, like, just, I'm I'm done with this. Let's go. (laughs) Just bar. Surprised he didn't go to a strip club. Like, (laughs) he just, he just decided, you know what, none of, stuff of this, uh, Dinner by candlelight. Yeah. Enough of this Amish living and making this furniture. I've had enough. <laughs> just went, just went nuts. You went ham. Yep. Went. Oh man. All right. McDonald's. A McDonald's employee was nearly blinded when she sprayed, uh, was sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher. So a McDonald's employee was nearly blinded when she was sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher. The incident happened around 2 a.m. on Saturday at one of the franchise's Melbourne locations. Uh, surveillance camera footage of the incident was uploaded to YouTube. you got to find that. Um, Kimberly Friend claims that the suspects had come through the drive-thru and had argued over the price of cheeseburgers. After leaving their car... Uh, returned about 10 minutes later. Friend claimed that she noticed some of the passengers were recording on their cell phones. And without warning, she got sprayed in the face with a fire extinguisher based on the price of cheeseburgers. 
Um, cheeseburgers, even in overseas, can't be that much. That's what I mean. Like, McDonald's prices are pretty set. I guess if you're at an airport, you can be pissed off at the prices of a McDonald's. But if you're going pulling up to the drive-thru, it is what it is. That's strange. Um, armed intruder jumps out of a third-story window. So this is in the state of Washington. Police say that an, an armed intruder jumped out of a third-story apartment window after being confronted by a tenant. Ryan Clee was able to uh, capture uh, striking images as the suspect took a big leap. Clee was walking his dogs about 6 a.m. on Tuesday and returned to his secure apartment complex in uh, that city in Washington after 10 minutes. Open the door, and the guy is going through my backpack that's just sitting there. He tried to maneuver around me, tried to push me away, and, and end up grabbing each other a little bit. The suspect wanted to leave, but Klee was concerned about what else the suspect would do. I would feel horrible if I let him go and find out he hurt somebody else. So the intruder jumped out of a third-story window. <laughs> uh, they, he was caught. Uh, his bail's set at $100,000. Prosecutors say he's an extreme risk to the community. Uh, and police say Klee was able to keep control of an alarming situation. Yeah, you want to beat his ass. He's in your place. Absolutely. Um, and the guy tried to get away, and, and of course, he still gets caught anyway. Doesn't say anything about the injuries. I don't see the injuries here, but he did jump out of a third-story window. Right. There's got to be at least a rolled ankle in that situation. <laughs> at least. <laughs> maybe there's a maybe there is a um, an old mattress down on the down below. With stains all over it. <laughs> well, of course. It's nothing like a good stained mattress. And that, my friends, is Tales from the Hood right here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN app. Oh, I got a great story about that, but I can't tell it. <laughs> it's probably safe that way. Oh, I got a great story. I wish I could tell that story. <laughs> Someone I know was pretty embarrassed when the new uh, mattress came. Of course, you know, you get a new mattress and then the old mattress gets removed. I never thought of that. Like the whole neighborhood sees your dirty mattress then when you bring it out to the curb. I've never thought of that. That's hilarious. (laughs) Peacock said, make sure they cover it up in black bags. <laughs> I said, "What?" She goes, "I don't want anyone to see what we've been doing." You're listening to my man's and them. Just some men that's on the mic, and when we rock up on the mic, we rock the mic. Right, Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN. Ran out of bags.